Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Crosstown for our Uprising uh, series. We've been talking about uprising, springboarding off of the resurrection of Christ. And one of the things about the resurrection of Christ is that it's helped us reevaluate the potential of life with so much evil around it. Um, this last week was an exciting week for me. You might have seen it on Facebook. I had an opportunity. I was invited by the city to be part of what was called the Dutch Dialogues. And what that was is the Dutch came over. They, were, um, they helped cities fix flooding problems, one of their biggest exports. So a city can ask them to come and help. And so it was really cool to be around 50 of the smartest geologists and hydrologists in the world, listen to them talk about stuff. And it was just, just great to be around them. We had a lot of dialogue about what needs to happen here in the Charleston area, and there are some really good ideas on their way. But the reason why the Dutch were brought in was because they have a thousand years of experience when it comes to dealing with issues of flooding. I know we've been struggling with it for the last four years, but they have a thousand years of experience. So some of the technology and the understanding and the engineering, they've already got a lot of that worked out. And as a result of that, we'll begin to experience some relief here in Charleston. But that's exactly what the resurrection of Jesus does, is that it reevaluates the world as a result of the experience of Christ dying and rising again says to us that God knows something about changing the dynamics of life and bringing new life to places where evil had dominion. So as we're looking at the uprising of Christ, we're not only talking about Christ's personal victory, but we're looking at that application like with the Dutch. We're allowing the resurrection of Christ to begin to speak to our flooding issue, to the issues of our despair, our misery, uh, the challenges of our lives, the failures of our lives. And it begins to speak hope to us. It begins to give us strategy and insight. Because I believe that life is intended to be more than the measure of the worst things that happen to us. Someplace along in my lifetime, we evaluate whether life is good or not based upon the worst experience we have. I don't know when, I mean, the, the glass half full concept. And people evaluate whether life is worth living or it's good or even if the existence of God is credible based upon our worst experiences. And we're focusing on those worst experiences. Life is intended to be more than the shame of the biggest mistakes that we make in our lives. And we label ourselves as people who have made mistakes and then we wear that shame around through our lives. And the resurrection of Christ is to be an uprising out of that way of thinking, that way of living. Because life is intended to be more than just surviving. Life is intended to flourish. Life is intended to have beauty in it. Life is intended um, for each and every one of us. Every one of us are supposed to be experiencing this incredible life. So God wants us to not give up on the lives that we have and to begin to experience his uprising in the chaos of life that we experience around us. And the kingdom of God is about Christ ruling in our lives and bringing his kingdom into our lives. We're not kingdom thinkers, particularly in the Bible Belt, but I think it would be true all across America that we're salvation thinkers in the Bible Belt. We're uh, avoiding hell thinkers in the Bible Belt. We are going to heaven 
thinkers in the Bible Belt, but we are not kingdom people. We, we tend not to think in concepts of God in this idea. But when we listen to Jesus talk to us, he talks about this uprising that he wanted to bring to the planet Earth to begin to bring about change. Listen to what he said about this uprising within us. In Luke 17, Jesus said, The kingdom of God does not come with signs to be observed or with visible display, nor will people say, Look, here it is, or see, it is there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you, in your hearts. It is among you. It is surrounding you. So that the kingdom of God comes to us when we invite the reign of Christ into our lives and begins to invite this uprising within us. So God redeemed us to experience this uprising, to rule with Christ. I mean, just think of that language. Maybe if we were in England, this would be easier for us to digest the idea of a monarch, the idea of a, a, a kingdom rule. But someplace along the line, we have become a nation or a people, even a church of survivors. When Jesus' intent was that we would be people who would experience his rulership in our lives, and not only his rulership, but begin to, to exert that rulership in the world around, with us, around us. But we have learned to go with the flow. We've learned to be products of our environments. We've done really good. If we look at 23andMe, we can find out genetic explanations why we're so weird and, you know, we got that nasty little tick that we got or why we drink too much or why our tempers flare or whatever it is about ourselves. We, we, we've actually gone backwards to try to find some sort of explanation for why I'm just as dysfunctional as I am today. And there may be some merit in finding out if you're Scottish or Native American or whatever it is that you are, but... When it comes down to it, God is saying to each and every one of us, I don't want you to go with the flow. I don't want you just to be the product of your environment or the product of your experiences. I want to bring a kingdom into your life. I want the rule of Christ to come on earth just as it is in heaven, and I want you to experience his reign and his rulership in your life. I love this story. I've used it before, but um, I found this story a couple of years ago about a man that lived out this idea of changing the desert, changing the um, survival mechanism of his culture and in his own personal life. I want you to watch and see how it, it's an illustration on if we allow the kingdom of God to come into our lives and we begin to apply it in our area of life that we can bring about change. Let's watch. Back in the desert, one man gave nature a helping hand and ended up helping feed a nation. The Sahel is the southern border of the Sahara Desert, stretching right across Africa. All living things here await the arrival of rain. In the past half century, due to climate change and poor land management, the desert has swallowed vast amounts of the Sahel, causing some of the worst famines in recent memory. The village of Gorga was all but destroyed by the desert. Until one man took a stand. Yakuba Sawadogo has no formal science education 
Yet what he has managed to achieve stunned the world. He stopped the desert. Nearly 40 years ago, after a bad famine, Yakuba started farming in the height of the dry season when nothing grows. Because he was ignoring common sense, everyone, including the local chief, thought Yakuba was insane. People criticized you before, saying what you were doing wasn't good and that it was against the rules. They said it was madness, that you were going crazy. They said that I was damaging tradition. These words didn't hurt me. The head of my own family said the same thing, and everybody laughed. I kept my mouth shut. The young Yakuba realized that before the rains came, he had to be ready to capture as much water in the soil as possible. Chopping through the concrete-like earth, Yakuba dug wide holes and filled them up with dung and litter. In fact, he was recruiting an unusual ally. The dung attracted termites, who started using Yakuba's pits to grow the fungus that is their staple diet. And in doing so, they dug a network of tiny tunnels in the soil, which served Yakuba's aims. When the rains come, the tunnels in the termite nest retain the water, stopping it from running off. The water runs into the tunnels and stays there, and the soil is greatly improved. When the rains finally came, Yakuba fought for every drop of water. He built low walls to slow the runoff of rain from his fields. And instead of just planting crops, Yakuba also planted trees. Locals remained hostile, calling Yakuba the village idiot. But Yakuba persevered, and gradually, his alliance with wild plants and animals paid off. Over four decades, the trees he planted encouraged birds that brought with them seeds for even more trees. Yakuba's desert started looking more like a forest. Yakuba's forest transforms the microclimate. It blocks wind and provides shade. And crucially, it raises the water table, holding life-giving water in the soil. Nearby, Yakuba's crops are also flourishing. And he's no longer the village idiot. Yakuba is the local hero. 
harvest time, the whole village joins him to gather millet. They grow enough food to feed everyone. Yakuba's ideas have been so successful, his methods are now taught across the Sahel, and his ideas are credited with helping Niger through a recent famine. With help from the smallest creatures, a single farmer can harness the natural pulse of water. What an incredible illustration of what the kingdom of God is supposed to be like in our lives. That he was willing to plant some ideas and to work within the microbiome of where he lived to make a difference in the midst of the heat, in the midst of the criticism, in the midst of the past. He began to implement some incredible principles. Instead of just dying or just surviving, he created an environment of flourishing. And this is what Jesus begins to talk to his disciples about. He begins to talk to the people of his day and to us through the Gospels about what the kingdom of God is supposed to do and how we are supposed to engage the kingdom of God and what the kingdom of God can do for each and every one of us. And that the kingdom of God is not this idea of escaping the desert, but rather about bringing the kingdom of God into every aspect and biome of our lives. So when he was teaching about the kingdom of God, it was very much like Yacuba's life. Listen to Jesus in Luke chapter 13, starting verse 18. He says, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and he sowed in his garden and it grew and became a tree and the birds of the air made their nests in its branches. The kingdom of heaven happens just like in the story of this man when we take and sow the message and the rule of Christ into our lives personally. I remember a couple of years ago um, archaeologists discovered this old Egyptian mummy, and, and along with the mummy, I think it was about 2,500 years old, along with the mummy, they found uh, a little pouch of seeds. And so here they had not only a dead guy of 2,500 years, but they also had these incredible seeds uh, that were waiting to be taken and sowed, just like in the story Jesus told. And, and I guess it was an Egyptian thing that if you died, you brought some stuff to make sure that, you know, some money just in case you needed to get a burger on the way, if you, after you were dead, if you needed some place to stay, and also you brought some seeds so that you could go grow a crop in the afterlife. But amazingly, the archaeologists took a couple of the seeds, and an amazing thing happened, is that when they took the seeds, and they put it in dirt, and they watered it, it turned into corn. It turned into exactly what it was 2,500 years ago. And when I looked at that principle on how those seeds were just in a little pouch alongside of a dead man, I began to think about how Christians are. That we tend to go throughout our lives saved, but yet we have all the ideas of the kingdom of God in a nice, neat little pouch alongside of us, and we think that it's all about the afterlife. That that's when we'll plant our seeds. 
That's when we all have these imaginary dreams about what heaven's going to be like and, and how you, you're not even going to need a hook to catch fish. You're just going to jump in your boat and, you know, we're going to be eating this and drinking that and all these wonderful things. And, and I'm not saying heaven's not going to be like that. But the thing is, is I believe a lot of us are walking around with answers from God that have been buried with us and they were meant to be planted that the principles and the word of God and the spirit of God have already been given to us that if we will take them and we will plant them, then we will see the kingdom of God rise up in our lives. But too many of us have gone through the uh, evangelical approach to, to Christianity that we've prayed the sinner's prayer, um, we, we pay offerings at church, we go to church on Sunday, and then we're kind of like in a box of time just waiting for a cover to be on it before we actually sow the seeds of what heaven is. But it could be that we're walking around today with the answers of God already accompanying us, but yet we have not taken and sown them into being the kingdom of God into our lives. So it is so important in the story, just like Yakuba, that we get involved in the taking and the sowing of the principles of God and see what God does with it. The rule of Christ in our lives has the power to bring change, but it all starts in your garden. The first place where the kingdom needs to impact is at home. Not only because it reveals the truthfulness of the kingdom, but it is there that it increases the transferability of the kingdom into other people's lives. So when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God being planted in a man's garden, I think we need to realize that he's like, listen, this man starts with it planting in his micro-environment, in his life. Too often, we figure out what's right, what, what does the Bible say about this lifestyle, what does the Bible say about this, and then we try to plant the kingdom of God in our society before we've implanted it in our own lives. And we wonder why doesn't it work? Because according to this parable, the transferability of the kingdom of God is a result only after the kingdom of God is first taken and sown in an individual's life. The tree only happens after it has been planted in the local person's garden and in his personal life. So I need you to ask yourself the question. And let me take you beyond Bible Belt Christianity. Not only if you died tonight do you know where you would spend eternity, but have you taken the principles and the word of God and the spirit of God and have you begun to take the hold of them in your life, the reign of Christ, and brought it into your life and begin to plant it in your marriage? Have you actually taken a hold of it and, and planted it into the, into the life of your children and, and how you do life around you? Have you taken it and planted it in your mind? in your soul, and let it affect the garden of your life. What happens so often is that just about the time that your kid's about to go off to Clemson, that you want to make sure your, your child goes off with enough Jesus so that they don't get, you know, 
too screwed up in college. And, and so we immediately, we try to, you know, before they leave, we warn them, you know, about sex. We warn them about drinking too much. We warn them about all these different things. And we try to transplant, we try to transfer the kingdom into their lives in one short conversation while we're dropping them off at school and unloading all their stuff into their dorm room. And the young person usually says, Mom, I know, Mom, Dad, I know. But you know, the way that the kingdom is transferred is when we first, as moms and dads, as husbands and wives, as individuals, first take and sow the kingdom into our lives. That's where the truthfulness and the reality of the kingdom is proven. The transferability of the kingdom only occurs out of the garden that results with us having the kingdom of God into our lives. Jesus said, and it grew and it became a tree and the birds of the air made their nest in its branches. First, the planting of Christ's rule in your life. And then, a grace rule that invites others to experience the kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy. I know a lot of us are nervous about what's going on in the world. And you may be looking for some methodology to bring about change. And there are systems of change that we can incorporate into our lives. But the one that God seems to be talking to me most about is my microbiome. And the quality of the kingdom of God that I have in my life. I mean, guys, look at me. Um, I, I, I can tell you without a doubt, and I don't mind this, it's not false humidity and I'm not... Uh, I'm not making myself look bad in front of people. I know that when I was at the Dutch Dialogues, I was the least educated human being in the room. Have no doubt about it. I was just jazzed to be a part of the show. I mean, it was just like, woohoo, you know? I mean, it was like going backstage with, with like Van Halen or something, you know what I mean? It was like, I can't believe I'm a part of this thing. But it was really interesting that during the Dutch Dialogues, they would always talk to me and say, well, but I think the pastor understands that we've got a problem with this, this, this. I think the pastor understands what's, how people are feeling about this. I think the pastor, and, I, and I'm all of a sudden like, how the heck am I constantly brought into this conversation? And it was really interesting. Some of the engineers were kind of like looking at me like, what is he even doing in the room? You know? But it's interesting. When you begin to allow the kingdom of God to come into your life, when you plant it in your life, you will be surprised where your tree's branches begin to reach. All of a sudden, I'm in a place I have no business being. You know, I'm going around the room saying, man, you might be the smartest guy I know. You might be the smartest woman I know. I, I can't believe how much you, you understand about rocks. I can't believe how much you understand about water and, and all these other things. I was just blown away. But it was like, you know, Paul, I put you in this room. The kingdom of God put me in that room. And so you may be looking at your own personal life. It's like, well, I... I cannot see me ever getting the life of my daughter to ever listen to God. I, I think my son is outside of my reach. I think my, my family, I think my coworkers are outside of my reach. Will you allow the kingdom of God to grow in your life? That's when the tree of God's kingdom develops its reach into their lives. And such a profound concept. And God is inviting us to be a part of the, this grace rule that invites other people to experience it. And, now, and one of the things that I learned is that the kingdom of God is not expelling those we don't agree with. 
It's creating environments that invites people to the shade of grace. Isn't that just different than how we do church? You know, um, we, we tend to create areas where we say, okay, we get the saved in one room, in one building, in one place on a Sunday, and, and we keep all the others outside. Um, there's an idea in city planning, in development. It's called uh, gentrification. The idea is the revitalization of poor urban areas to accommodate a more affluent usage. That's probably like the nicest way I could describe it. Um, it's interesting, the word gentrification has, in the beginning, it's the word gentry. And the gentry were the, according to old English times, were kind of the middle class in the caste system. They were the middle class. So gentrification means that we look at what poor people are doing with property, we kind of redevelop it and move them out of those areas in order to make it good for middle-class affluent people. Um, I was talking to, I, I know I'm throwing names around now, but, you know, heck, I don't get to do it often. Um, I was talking to the ambassador of the Netherlands when I was at this meeting. <laughs> but, but one of the things I asked him, I said, do you guys see a problem of gentrification when you fix a flood area? And he smiled, and we began to talk about it. Is that once you, be, you see an eye, a place where people are flooding and, and the, its usage begins to, um, it, you just can't use the land anymore. But then you decide, okay, we're going to fix this land. All of a sudden, more affluent people may say, well, wait a minute. So now I can move my business down on the peninsula. So what we'll do is we'll fix the flood. First of all, we'll let people flood. Then we'll fix the flooding. And then we'll buy them out of their properties. And then we'll move all these nice companies in here. And, and then we'll just shove the poor people up the peninsula. Now, that was not hypothetical. That's exactly what's happening. Now, that may be good baby boomer capitalism. But it's not the kingdom of God. See, the kingdom of God says, let me, let me improve your biome, not so that you can get rid of all the homosexuals, not so that you can get rid of all the people who watch R-rated movies, not so that you can expel all the smokers and the drinkers and all those who, you know, it's not so that you get them away from you, create this nice little building called Crosstown and all the church people come together who dress right and all the girls' skirts at the right height and all the men don't wear hats and there aren't tattoos and all that stuff. He goes, no, I'm going to make your kingdom so all those weird birds will fly into your yard. That's the kingdom of heaven. You know, and I love it in another gospel, he says, in birds of every kind. That means they may not be birds of your kind. They may be, may be different birds that just come into your life. This is the kingdom of God. This is what God wants to do. But I'm now going to tell you the bad news about the kingdom of God. The challenge to all of this is the mustard seed. Because he did tell us what seed that he wanted in the parable to illustrate what the kingdom of heaven was like. It's interesting that the mustard plant is an invasive plant. It attacks other plants. There's also this other principle called allelopathy. And what that means is it's a plant that has a chemical property that stops the germination of other plants. 
The mustard seed does this. So when God uses, when Christ uses this parable and says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who had a garden and he plants the mustard seed in it, guess what God's saying to that man first before he goes any further? He says that the kingdom of God's going to come into your life, but it might ruin your garden. You've got your house arranged just the way that you want it. You got all your friends just the way you want it. You got the job the way that you want it. You're having sex the way that you want it. You're spending your money the way that you want it. You socialize with the certain people the way you want it. He said the kingdom of God is like this invasive seed that will come in and it will begin to grow into your life and it will begin to fill up your garden. It will invade your self-interest. It will actually keep your self-interest from germinating, which is a really cool principle. I mean, because I want the kingdom of God in my life because planet Earth has had 60 years of Paul Rienzo and it does not need another 20. It needs something different out of me. It needs the kingdom of God coming out of my life. And so the kingdom of God, when I invite it into my life, begins to invade my plants of self-interest, my nice, neat little garden, and God begins to partner with me and help me to begin to to push away the self-interest plants and plans and visions that I have for my life and begin to bring his kingdom into my life. And as a result of allowing God to reign in me, all of a sudden the birds of the air become to, to come into my life. And all of a sudden my branches begin to extend beyond my education, beyond my affluence, beyond my position, beyond my experience. All of a sudden, I'm, I've, I'm finding different things uh, it, it, you know, arriving into my life because God's kingdom is working within me. But the kingdom of God comes with that cost. Jesus said it this way, pick up your cross and follow after me. That there will be some self-death as we allow the kingdom and the reign of Christ to take control of our lives. But that's... That's what it means to take and to sow the kingdom of God into your life. And I think that's where the kingdom of God gets all the nice little seeds, get put back in the bag, and we tighten up the bag, and I'll just keep that for heaven. You know, I just like being saved, but I really just don't want God messing with my life. It is time to take and to sow the the reign of Christ into each and every one of our lives. The kingdom of God in the world is the tree that has grown in our garden. The kingdom of God in the world is the tree that has grown in my garden and in your garden. And when we look out there and we see desert like Yacuba saw desert, We've got to decide that in our microbiome that I'm going to allow the kingdom of God to come. I'm going to allow Christ to reign. If you look out and you see in the world that it is going to hell in a handbasket, is it possible that perception is happening because you and I are not planting the kingdom of God in our gardens? We may be praying prayers, oh God, save America and turn America back to its roots, into its original founding fathers. Well, you know what? They planted their seeds and, their, and took it in the kingdom of God and did what they did in their generation. There's no reason why we should think 
that the kingdom of God is going to come to us because of what happened with them. It is our turn. If you have concern for your children, if you have concern for your neighbors, if you have concern for our society, if you have concern for your thought life, if you have concerns, what we need to do is we need to, we need to allow the reign of Christ to take place. We need to invite Jesus to reign. We need to plant his kingdom into our lives. So let me ask you to look around your life. Are things dying or just surviving? Or are things beginning to flourish? Plug it into your marriage. Is your marriage dying? You know, and you can just say, well, you know, it's, I, I married the wrong person. Okay? It's, you could use that excuse. Most Americans do. We, we blame that the person that we married was the wrong kind of person. Or you could plant the kingdom of God in their lives. You could wait until your children go off to Clemson or... or or University of South Carolina, or wherever they go, College of Charleston. And don't worry, somebody's going to plant the kingdom into their lives. Somebody's going to drop seeds into their thinking, into their lives. And you may wonder four years later, why is it this person, why do my kids not believe? Why does, it's because somebody decided to take and to sow. So let me encourage you. I can't change all of the world, and Yakuba didn't change all of the Sahara or all of the desert, but he was able to affect his microbiome. Joshua said it this way, it's for me and my house. I'm going to start right there. I'm going to plant in my garden. I'm going to invite the kingdom of God. And then I know that my branches will begin to extend over my fence and begin to invite the world to experience the grace and the shade of God's kingdom. Father, as we enter into this moment with you, we not only enter into this moment as you being our Savior, but God, today we make the decision to open ourselves up, to open the lattice fence, the gate, to allow your kingdom to come into our gardens. Today, Lord God, we invite your reign your rule. We invite you to invade. Invade my thoughts. Invade my heart. Invade my life with your righteousness, with your goodness, with your peace, with your truth, with your joy. Lord God, I open it up to you. Allow your kingdom to come, thy will to be done in my life. Lord God, I am excited to see the, the work that you'll do and all the birds of the air that will find hope in the branches of your kingdom in my garden. Let me invite you, whether through communion, whether in a moment of contemplation or a time of writing something and putting it to the cross or in prayer with one of our pastors, let this be a time that you go beyond way that we Bible Belt things, getting saved, putting, living life in a box with our seeds, just waiting for a cover to be put over the top, but that today that we would walk out, we would take and sow the kingdom of God in our lives. We invite you, Christ invites you.
into his kingdom.